0: Gracious God, silence in us any voice but your own, so that hearing, we may follow you in the way to life. Some things from his past could make your hair curl, though I don't even know the half of it, because he only spoke often of it in part. A word spoken at me, but finding its landing far beyond my physical presence, through a pained look upon my young self, standing there before him, but his gaze somberly touching a child from long past. With a shared memory of places foreign to my young imagination around which I would spend years hoeing to unearth a more complete story that was buried beneath its simple telling. My great uncle Christian was a simple man. He was a sinful man who, after having been surprised by the joy of divine grace, found himself set free to be about the fruitful work of of doing good in the world. Arriving in the 1950s, he was the very last of the siblings to immigrate from their hometown of Verbas, which is located in the land we now call Serbia. Uncle Christian and his sister Elizabeth were still living in upper Manhattan when Luce and I lived across the Hudson in Newark. That's New Jersey. It was a once a week trip for me to drive over and take him to his business dealings throughout the city. There was banking to be done at multiple locations, withdrawing a bit of cash here, moving money about there, opening another account just to get the free toaster. There was a stop at the AMP to pick up a few necessary items, and if we were lucky, to score a whole case of Listerine or Ivory Soap on sale this week only. My, oh my, would Uncle Christian have loved Sam's Club, (laughs) oi. We then head down to the Greek, his favorite produce peddler. The Greek was always ready to bless his friend with a crate of fruits and vegetables that were, let's just say, past their prime all for a couple of bucks. We then schlep it up to the apartment where Christian would spend the evening salvaging and canning for later use. And finally, we'd make it to the Jewish bakery. The sweet aroma of heaven on earth, kala and babka. Apricot, rugelach, rum balls, and poppy seed confections, chocolate, hazelnut cake with a dark, dark ganache, burnished cheesecake, my favorite. Chris, he would be greeted as he entered the shop, have we got some specials for you today? And the kindly women behind the counter would show him the day-or-so-old treats as they boxed and tied them securely for the trip home, all for just a few dollars. They were glad to get something for the Best Buy yesterday delights, and he and Elizabeth and Paul greedily enjoyed the special gifts. My Uncle Christian, you may have figured out, knew how to enjoy life on the cheap. It wasn't that he hadn't saved any hard-earned money. He just didn't see why it was necessary to fritter it all away in tasting the good things of life. I mean, why throw away torn trousers when they can easily be sewn back together? Why buy aprons when a patchwork of old material can be made easily enough to do the same trick? Or why buy new umbrellas when there were plenty thrown out, which he happily pulled from the trash, repaired, and gifted to us every year so we could take the best of the bundle of 25 or so and give the others away to friends? Now, I don't have any of those umbrellas still. Thank you. But I do have something. I have this trophy. When I was in ninth grade, this was a gift my uncle gave me after hearing of my basketball team's winning season. Uncle Christian had absolutely no interest in sports, but he did have an interest in me, a love for me that gave him the desire to celebrate the sporting victory with me in some way which he did. Now, where this trophy originally came from, who it was first given to, and what exact, at what exact historic moment, I will never know. But my uncle found it in the usual places he looked to find such treasures, removed whatever plaque had been on it, and presented it to me when my family was out that year to visit our New York relatives. And this, this is a precious keepsake of mine. Not because it speaks of a great basketball victory that happened once upon a time, a memory whose luster has long ago faded. This is precious because it continues to shine still even today with the beauty of this man, my uncle, and his sometimes hard-to-understand expressions of love for me, not because his foreign tongue could accent thickly, but because his love was often expressed differently from ways I'd come to know. This gift, This discarded trophy, far removed from its original use, means more to me than any official ones received through all my years of playing ball. And I suppose this is my rather laborious way of saying to you that we have received scripture including the Psalter, as a gift handed down to us from a foreign place more than 6,000 miles away, another time over 2,000 years ago, originally written in a language that has absolutely no character semblance to the Latin script we are familiar with, has no vowels, in fact, a language that barely 0.1% of the world can even read. This gift of Scripture, of the Psalms, Psalm 24 included, is so far removed from its original context that we can only make some well-studied conjectures as to what its original use might have even been, its original author's purposes in writing, and the impact it had on its first hearers. Now, with all that against it, you may be thinking, why bother with it? I mean, don't we have other writings, other poems, good modern ones, that are easier for us to grab hold of and understand? Sure we do. But not ones that have stood the test of time in providing a people, the people of God, with a united voice in our time-tested trek, together with God and with one another on this God's good earth and not any other that our King Jesus commended to us as trustworthy witness to God's ongoing commitment to us even as it reveals our messy record of attempting to live out a faithful response of gratitude. The gift of Scripture including Psalm 24 is not finally received once its original context and usage is fully understood any more than this trophy is received and valued only once I know its original purpose. No. The gift is so far greater than a single original moment fixed in time and space, so far greater than the imaginings of we humans who are always limited by cultural influences and understandings. As C.S. Lewis put it, scripture carries the word of God, not as an encyclopedic or historic book might tell factual stories of times long ago, for even those facts are burdened by the limitations of culturally bound influences and storyteller prejudices. Scripture is the human writ, God-inspired vehicle by which into whatever our cultural and prejudicial limitations, God is ever confronting us with the divine word through which, through whom we have been created, redeemed, and will forever be sustained as the wondrous and beloved work God so loves. So I don't want to now explain possible understandings of the original structure and context and uses of Psalm 24, but rather I invite you to imagine that we, with all our cultural baggage, troubles and the joys, the fears and the prejudices, the anxieties and partial understandings, the perplexing questions, and our clumsy and short-sighted answers that we all have, with all the baggage that we've lugged in here with us today, I invite you to imagine us together inside a tea cup, steeping with the leaves of God's word that Psalm 24 infuses us with, the life-transforming word of God. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Here is the place of all beginning the source of all being, of our life here today, the Lord, the creator of all that is. In him there is no prejudice or partiality or short-sightedness, for God is temporally unbounded, is pure clarity and all-illuminating light. And the proper name of God given in Scripture is Yahweh, The God who is, here translated, the Lord. This is the God revealed to Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Moses to Israel. I am the name by which the nature and essence of the one to whom it directs us is revealed. God who was, who is, who will ever be creator and ruler of heaven and earth, owner of all the earth and everything in it. You, me, that one over there that you've never even spoken with, those around the world that you want absolutely nothing to do with included. This is the name so holy that our Jewish siblings won't even speak it aloud or write it out or dare use it in vain but rather speak and write in shorthand so as to bow before the sovereign Lord who is above all other gods, over all that is created, over even the human creature who has the chutzpah to imagine our own selves, to be self-made and in the driver's seat. Among the myriad of shorthand names used is El and Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Melech HaOlam, ruler over all. HaMakom, the ever present one. El Olam, the eternal one. HaKadosh Baruchu, the Holy One, blessed be He. And most simply, Hashem, the name. This is the Lord, the creator of life that He has founded and established for His good pleasure. The beginning of all as well as the end is held in the Lord's own good purpose. To know God's self-revealed name, Yahweh, is to know something about God's specific character and something about the purposeful relationship had with all creation. The Lord, Yahweh, is the source and sustainer of all life, as attested by by our very presence here today still, when some random cosmic act or some diabolical human act of destruction could have done us in long ago. The Lord, Yahweh, is good and faithful as has been borne out and witnessed over the millennia in the relationship with those God has, for the sake of all, claimed as his very own. Those characteristics are implicit in the name Yahweh and are critical to acknowledge as we steep in the Psalm 24 brew For we are immediately jettisoned from this universal statement of faith to a very specific site, a hill, better yet, a mountain, the mountain of the Lord. We find ourselves standing with a jolt at the foot of his mountain, which towers like a flag planted by a victorious army to indicate possession. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, and like ants, Confronted by the foot of the giant human, we look to the left and to the right and can see but a meager portion of its hulking form. We look skyward only to be blinded by the brilliant yet obscured luminescence and are unable to take in its immense height. Our desire, though, is to ascend, to move up and in, to draw closer to the place the Lord, who is beyond our reach, has established as his residence on earth. For there we might bask in his life-giving glory, might be gifted with his blessing that is beyond our limited human grasp. There, we might experience the fullness of life as God intended in creating the cosmos, the world, and creating us for righteous and fruitful relationship. Our desire is to move up and in closer to the heart of the Creator, but we are frozen by the nagging question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And we realize we are mere mortals, like ants, dust, and ashes. One wrong move, and we could be crushed under his foot. One wrong move, and we could be blown to the nether realm by his, his breath of justice that cleanses his creation of all wrong. One wrong move. And yet our good and faithful sovereign has given us the way by which we may ascend his mountain. A heart that is pure, pure, that has been emptied of self-serving practices and bloodshed, that wills justice for all. Clean hands put to living that desire for justice out in honest acts of kindness and mercy. Faces that do not look away from Yahweh to other gods to deliver them. Lips that speak truthfully truthfully, even when truth-telling is not the practice of the people among whom they live. Kind, merciful, pure, honest at all times and in all dealings, this is the people. Wherever they may be found, God claims as his own and blesses with the fullness of life. For this is the people. Wherever they may be found, whatever their language, their skin tone, their history, their cultural baggage and limitations, this is the people who are the Lord's blessed. And this is the people who desire, above all else, to find their home in the heart of the Creator. This is the way of the Lord, the way of life says the psalmist. They won't always get it right, God knows, but when confronted by the refining word of God, they will admit their wrongs, repent, and change their ways, because their face is set, their heart, their soul, mind, and strength fixed on ascending the mountain of the Lord who is, who is more than simply creator. Life, in all its fullness, is founded by his own good purpose, and as sovereign ruler over all, his rule is not confined to a single point on the earthly map. The terrestrial location, a mountain, signals the Lord's possession over all creation. The extent of his rule beyond the highest heavens and reaching farther than east is from west, This way he gives us for ascending, for living under his rule is not finally found on insurmountable mountain peak. But as Moses and as Paul put it, his command, his way is not too far away, not high in the heavens nor beyond the seas, but is near you, on your lips and in your heart for you to observe To practice. This is the Lord's purpose in creating us righteous relations with God and with one another and with all creation tending well the gift given. And to obtain God's blessing is not to surmount some secluded spot on the other side of the world God's life-giving blessing extends throughout all of his good creation to be received as gift by all those who seek him, heart, soul, mind, and body, and follow his ways. So when we are jolted once again, this time from our position at the base of the Lord's mountain, wondering who may even ascend, And hearing the way, it is by the herald's command. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Now much has been made of this curious transition, a jolt of the creator God way up there, who is suddenly down here desiring, no, demanding, entrance into the gates, into ancient doors. But I don't really find it too strange that if the mountain is but the standard planted to announce Yahweh as possessor and ruler over all the earth, then why wouldn't the Lord decide to descend in order to meet with his people? The king of glory, Melech HaKavod, Yahweh, Sabaoth, the all-powerful one who has subdued all other gods and people who dare attempt to thwart God's good purpose with chaos and violence and death. I I don't find it strange at all that this life-giving God should want to meet with the ones upon whom his gaze is fixed. Humans, with all our cultural baggage and prejudice, We are the very ones for whom the Lord's heart beats for love, created and provided a way so that we might be in blessed relationship with him. In him and in his way is life in all its fullness, life abundant, And he comes to us not to bowl us over and force his entry, though he certainly could and has every right to do so, as we are but his handiwork. We belong to God. But rather he comes to meet us with an invitation to open freely, an invitation that is cried out and cannot be unheard, to open of our own accord as good and faithful subjects. If our desire is to be in the presence of, to be intimately close to, so as to experience the glory of life as our Creator purposes it to be, then, then we will raise up the gates quickly and fling open the wide the doors and welcome Him who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the, the very One who is good and faithful sovereign of our blessed life. For in his descent, our longing, desire has met us to transform our lives so that we might ascend, even today, even in this space, into the glory of the very one in whom heaven and earth unite to fill all creation with his goodness his grace, his love. And even today, we are invited in this ancient gift to meet him with his marred beauty that speaks to us of his faithful love for us and in which in whom there is life now and forevermore. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.